everybody. How y'all doing? You want to uh, you want to podcast with us? This <laughs> <laughs> is Jim Vavda Stacks here with yet another edition, the IGN Movies Podcast, keeping it real. This is our 180th podcast, Mr. Chris Woo-hoo. Carl. Woo-hoo. Yeah, That's so a lot. Uh, that is a lot. We're going to have to do something special for our 200th. If you have any ideas, uh, shoot us an email. Keep it real at ign dot com. Perhaps we'll try and get a, a very special guest. Teaser though, it. it's going to be called "Rude, Lude, and In the Nude." <laughs> so ask you, gas or grass, nobody rides for free. That one. And you'll be very, very happy that uh, that it's <laughs> it's audio only. So our our usual box office roundup is uh, screwed up because Carl and Kalora didn't write down the numbers from oh, last week's. Oh yes, but I that's can what tell happens you. when I don't sit in on I these. Know, the I anal know. retentive one with all his notes doesn't. I know. Isn't there? We're, you know, we just fly by the seat of our pants when you're not here. You're crazy, man. You're We're wa- crazy. You're crazy. But uh, I, I can tell you with with great alacrity that uh, that I was super wrong about Expendables. There wasn't much alacrity in that. No. You dragged that one out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Expendables two. Yeah, so I, I think I had said something like fifty million dollars. Yeah, that was stupid. Well, it only made twenty eight point six. It was still number one, debuted in first place, but only made twenty eight point six, which I think uh, was like six to eight million dollars less than what the first film made, which is pretty surprising considering this one is so much better and really was delivering on the the action lineup that the first movie kind of only kind of half delivered. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what Expendables 1 was like a really good couple of scenes mixed with some really bad dialogue and long stretches of, like, character development that went nowhere. Yeah. Mickey the Rock! (laughs) Mickey the Rock. Yeah, I feel like it... it, it, maybe it turned off enough people that they didn't want to show up for the sequel. I think so. Also, I think I, – I don't know. There's something about that that timing for me that was a little weird. Like I think um, putting it in August, kind of dog days of summer, for me didn't feel yeah. like right. Well, I mean the first one opened up then I think, right? I'm uh, not actually – I don't yeah. remember the date. I, I, I think that it – for me it's more the um, – maybe more the idea that these – Icons whose action icons appeal to a different generation than the ones who they really need to put asses in seats for. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how that bodes for Arnold's uh, film future. Well, you know? there's also an R rating, so that's always a challenge because you're going to hit uh, a significantly smaller audience. And but that you... movie would not have been as cool if it was PG-13. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, that movie was brutal. There was some damage. I mean, being remember done. the red mist in in Rambo? <laughs> yeah. This movie is like all that. Yeah, dude. It not was. Uh, it was nasty. That. And let me tell you what happened to me. Um, our comics editor and I, Joey <laughs> Esposito, <laughs> went to the movie theater. We got held up a little bit, so we were two minutes late. So we ran into the theater. And sat down, and the movie was in progress. We're like, oh, okay, cool. 40 minutes later, the credits roll. I'm like, God, they're really pa- packing a lot of action in the <laughs> beginning of this movie. So we had gone to the wrong screening. We went in and um, and missed an hour of it. So I'm only speaking from having seen the last 40 minutes of the movie, which were awesome. Which were awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was that was like the key. That whole airport sequence, best part in the movie. That and the Chuck Norris stuff. That airport sequence, interestingly enough, reminded me of the 
um, Call of Duty sequence from a couple of years ago that got so much attention where you're you're going through the airport and and you know you're gunning down civilians and stuff as this uh, sort of counter group um, or a terrorist group I should say and uh, it was. I don't know, the shades of that because I had played that game a couple yeah. years ago and it was such a big deal. Um, but, I mean, I guess that there weren't so many civilians killed. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, <clears throat> the bad guys did most of, the, most yeah. of that this time around. Um, how do you feel about Paranorman third place debut, 14 million? I mean... So that's about... I, I think it's about right. Expecting. We we said I think I personally said fourteen, so I think that was right. But um, obviously, but we'll never know unless we go back to listen to it. Yeah, which we never <laughs> will. Um, but I, I mean, I think we're used to animated movies opening up really big yeah. uh, because of Pixar and DreamWorks and some of the stuff that's like staples at the box office. Something like Paranorman is like almost an indie movie. It's a little quieter movie. Yeah, it's released by Focus, who. Did a really, really good job with um, Moonrise Kingdom over a long period of time. So right. that movie was in theaters over like three or four months, um, rolling out. You know, I think it comes out in Blu-ray in what uh, just a few weeks. Yeah, very soon. I so it, I, the new model for releasing movies is getting very, very interesting. It's you know some stuff is being released on VOD before it comes out in the theaters. Um, that, that Solomon Kane uh, finally is right. coming out, and that comes out in. Uh, Theater September 28th, but it's going to be available on video on demand tomorrow, Friday, August 24th. I actually saw the movie, I want to say close to three years ago at this point, wow. at uh, American Film Market, and it never found um, a stateside distributor until very recently, until this year. So I'm glad that the movie is finally coming out. It's so much better than like something like Season of the Witch, which got you know a major distributor, got Lionsgate. Um, and was a horrible movie, whereas Solomon Kane sat in the shelf for a long time. Right. So I think, to your point about the, this new form of distribution, I mean, lo- I think the days of looking at video on demand as like almost like direct to video is it's it's bold because uh, totally different. Well, just even last year or so when um, uh, Margin Call came out, great movie. And it was a it was a phenomenon on video on demand, and you, it's you, know. you can make a splash. And right now, you know, like uh, well before it's come out in theaters, Bachelorette is doing the same thing and making a splash that way. That's a like Kirsten Dunst comedy, um, essentially. You know, kind of priming the pump. It's a good way to get word of mouth out there for people. Yeah. You know, who who are like, hey, I saw this thing on demand. The other thing that's really interesting is um, Magnet and Magnolia doing those uh, sort of one night free on HD movies yeah. um, on cable. So it's like you get that. You know, it's not even video on demand. It's just like tune in at this time or set your DVR at this time. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an interesting inter- interesting time, and I think yeah. with so much competition for where you can watch things, it's only going to get like better for the consumer. Yeah, and I, I do feel like uh, there are interesting movies that they're offering. Yes. Um, not everything has to open up in 2,500 screens, and we'll talk about this weekend's releases uh, at the end of the podcast, of course, but you know, opening this week is Hit and Run, which is Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. I do wonder if a movie like that it's coming out in 2,500 or 2,800 screens. Could something like that have been better served by 
the kind of release model that you're talking about, I guess we'll know for sure yeah. uh, come next week's podcast when the box office figures are up. So anyway, with Paranorman, I think, going back to that, uh, I think it's going to be kind of a staged release a little bit. Um, and I think we'll see some good consistency out of it because as far as I've heard, it's gotten really good word of mouth. I mean, you liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. And um, it uh, it does remind me of, a, of another film monster house Mm -hmm. where um not so much in content but in the idea of this kind of dark some horror elements um but ultimately sweet and satisfying uh animated movie that doesn't talk down to kids uh or the adults watching it um so i think it'll be a a cult movie i don't think it's going to get the um the sort of more wide kind of mainstream praise or following that say Coraline did right but um you know it's a good movie i liked it and a zombie movie in a, in and a, a zombie different, movie. in a different way a, a you, know, different and a, a, you gotta hand it to to uh like a like a um for you know all the stop motion yeah. stuff i mean henry Selleck, who recently actually had his movie uh at disney shit canned mm. um a year into working on it so that's oh. particularly heartbreaking because of which means they've animated all of 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> a, a year in, and all we've got is this 30-second well, montage. Let's, let's dive into the week that was in genre movie news. Uh, I guess one of the big, you know, a lot of Marvel stuff. Uh, we got some sad news we're going to get to a little later on, but let's start with some of the more pleasant stuff. Um, a lot of uh, Marvel stuff this week. Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn, the director of Slither and Super is uh, reportedly the only one that Marvel's talking to about directing the picture. And um, what do you think about that? I mean, he's he is an interesting, quirky kind of indie filmmaker. He's friends with Joss Whedon, so they have similar sensibilities. But he's never been tried on a level like this, this sort of yeah. massive film. Could Could he maybe be getting in over his head? I don't think so. I mean, I think he fits the model of marvel directors it's that you know you're willing you're ready to take the next step into this and if you think about it joss whedon although he had firefly under his belt and and all that uh serenity he basically hadn't made anything very big until he he got to avengers and look how that turned out so i don't think we have to say i mean and i think james gunn has significantly less credits under his name than just he wrote scooby-doo and it's sequel (laughs) no i mean but no james gunn actually has a lot of like interesting uh uh credits to his name I, i did find it i do find it interesting though i've been doing this stuff long enough now that 10 years ago James Gunn was the guy people were ragging on online. Ragging. Yeah. On. I don't know if the kids still say that. Yeah, uh, we're gonna say ragging on um, this podcast. Uh, but uh, because he was the writer of Scooby Doo, I mean, I remember some really horrible things being written about him. I think, I think, and forgive me, Harry, if I'm wrong, but I think Harry Knowles <laughs> added out from it a few points. Uh, and now, flash forward ten years, and oh, it's so cool! What a great fit. We wish him well. Blah blah blah. I mean, it's it's By amazing. Way. You know. Let me say something in terms of Scooby-Doo. If you are a scriptwriter in Hollywood and some, and you're not 
and you haven't sold something and they come to you with Scooby-Doo or you do a spec script for Scooby-Doo and it sells, you are very happy. You're not sitting there going, oh, man, it's Scooby-Doo, blah, blah, blah. It's like I'm going to make the best thing I can make out of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I have a mortgage student loan. Yeah, Yeah, it's easy to be smug and artistic when you're 23. (laughs) Uh, You wait 10 years of struggling. (laughs) Exactly. And then when you're like, okay, this could be the door opener, you bet your ass you're going for that. You know, I, I like every Harold Pinter. There's, there's, you know, yeah. fifteen, uh, you know, hacks. I think uh, not that James Gunn's a hack. James Gunn, I like him because he takes risks. I like him because he's a little edgy. I like him because he has good uh, sensibility in terms of comedy, even though it's a little dark. But I think this movie is going to be humorous in tone. Um, not, uh, hopefully, not overly so. Yeah. Um, but you're going to have to explain things like. Rocket Raccoon, as we've talked about. Speaking of Rocket Raccoon, (laughs) we ran a poll this week on the site. Ooh, yes. Asking you guys, the readers and listeners of this podcast, um, to vote on who you would like to to, to voice Rocket Raccoon. And I put up, I think, about 10 to 12 names. Now, in the games and in uh, uh, the recent episode of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, they gave him a Cockney accent. I don't know if he's if they ever specify what his accent is yeah. uh in the comics but you know if if marvel goes in that route i put in like i want to say five or six british actors that i thought would be good and then five or six americans mm-hmm. readers picked jason statham to voice rocket raccoon That's which great. actually would be kind of cool he sounds like the character that as voiced in the game uh but also you know it's a nice play on the fact that Jason Statham is an ass kicker, you know, yeah. all his movies, Transporter, and putting that mystique, that that voice to the little badass raccoon <laughs> is actually pretty cool. Did you put Vinnie Jones in there? No, I had, um, he was recommended, but I'm like, I don't know if enough people really know him. Yeah. I mean, he'd be fine for it, but I had like uh, Ray Winstone, right. uh, who was up there in, in the selections, uh, Ian McShane. Um, He's too I'm old. Like, I'm like sounding. I think. Well, we don't know how old Rocket Raccoon is supposed to be. It's true, but he's hopping around like a sprightly little thing. Well, even older, and I, and he even retired. But I'm like, maybe they can roll up, you know, wheel him out for this as a uh, Bob Hoskins. <laughs> I mean, he's the ultimate Cockney actor. And Gene ha- and Gene Gene uh, Gene Hackman. While we're at well, it, well, I, I picked uh, who else did I have for the Americans? I had uh, Vin Diesel. Willem Dafoe, De Niro, James Gandolfini. Here's an interesting thing. What if they go the route of saying, okay, this is an all-digital character. Let's get somebody who's a, a voice actor who's used to voice acting to do this role, somebody like Mark Hamill. How weird and cool well, would it be? one of the readers actually made a great suggestion that I wish I had thought of before I wrote the damn thing, which was Andy Serkis. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Andy Serkis would be phenomenal for yeah. it. So, yeah. I mean, it would be, be kind of cool to see somebody like Mark Hamill gets his start in Star Wars and then, you know, has okay, done so, anime so at this point. How do you pull off Racket Raccoon? Do you do uh, all digital and they're reacting to nothing? Or do you get, say, uh, a dwarf and, and hmm. put him in mocap? I, I would say they're reacting to nothing because there's a fair bit of that that's been done. Um, how did they do Gollum? It was it was Andy Serkis. It was him, and and they just kind of digitally shrink him down. But he's crouched most of the time, anyway. Right, and he's not a very tall guy, so it's so not... it's yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of torn on it. It's it's you know. I think in some in some cases, like episode one and stuff like that, 
you can tell when people are having difficulty yeah. with the digital actor. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's just a sort of lifelessness when they're reacting to nothing. Yeah. Um, I think the mocap, and that was one of the, the wise decisions with Avengers was having Mark Ruffalo in the mocap suit, you know, it, as humiliating as that probably was for him to do. There's a reason why that Hulk of all the film versions is the one that resonates the most. It's not just the way Whedon handled it, which is great, and the visual effects. It's the fact that you were actually drawing on a performance and there was a soul and a life behind it and a sense of humor that I think – I don't know if you would necessarily have gotten if it was just you know, a best guess kind of thing. Right, right. Um, Let's see. Some other Marvel news – Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier, is looking at three actresses for the unspecified female lead. Anna Kendrick from Up in the Air and Twilight. Felicity Jones from Like Crazy. And Imogen Poots. Uh, The latter two actresses, uh, she was in um, Fright Night. She was the girlfriend in Fright Night. And if I... If I'm correct, she also sort of auditioned for the original Captain America, right? I can't remember. I think she auditioned for Spider-Man. Oh, oh. I think. I thought she was up for that. Um, she she could have been. I mean, she's, there. you know, it, everybody is going to be on these, these lists of being looked at. But the fact that these are all actresses in their early 20s. Yeah. Two of them are British. What what character do you think this is? I don't know. I mean, they don't fit Sharon Carter. No, I was going to say Sharon Carter would be a little older, I mean, are I they recasting Peggy Carter? Possible. I hope not. I mean, she was so good, but maybe... I mean, she is filming Lone Ranger, and if they're going to start filming Cap soon, maybe she's not available. I don't know. I don't think so, though. Like, I hope not. I mean... Yeah. Because she was great. I honestly don't know. Haley I mean, Atwell? Yeah. I, my thing is, I think... I think it's probably going to be somebody who exists between some different movies, you know? Yeah. It's probably not going to only appear in this movie. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if she would... I mean, it makes you wonder, okay, they're all young 20-somethings, very smart. You know, they, they have or you know, they have kind of a, a sense of humor to them. Um, but I just I, I can't think, and I know the comics well, but I can't think of who they would be. So if you guys have any uh, cool ideas, leave them in the comments or, again, keep it at real at IGN.com, and we'll talk about it next week's podcast. Female Bucky. Female Bucky. Um, <laughs> uh <laughs> An interesting thing happened over the weekend regarding Avengers 2. And, you know, when when is a movie star changing their profile pic on Facebook cause for online, you know, a, an, an online scuttlebutt session? It's when Vin Diesel replaces his profile pic with a picture of Vision from Avengers. Okay? <laughs> so is that Vin saying he's up for the role? Is that Vin saying he wants the role? Or is he just pranking everybody? Or... Maybe he just likes the character and put the damn photo up there. I think it's uh, probably from column two and three. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think he's got the role. I think he either wants it or he's just like, hey, somebody said I look like Vision once. You know. Well, what, what would you think about him playing the guy? He was the voice of Iron Giant, a very different kind of robot. But... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think somebody like Doug Jones would be cooler for Vision. Actually, yeah. Um, He'd be great. But, uh, you know, I don't, call Carl. I don't know that Vision is going to come into play anytime soon. He might be an interesting one to work into. I don't know. Maybe work him into Iron Man sequel yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, he's a he's a character that I would love to see them bring to life. 
Um, all this stuff about, oh, it's going to be Agent Coulson. Guys, you got to let, let go of the fact. <laughs> like, a character died. <laughs> I don't think they're going to muddy the waters with that. I mean, maybe they could, you know, they still have to take some other characters' imprints for, for Vision. But I think it would needlessly kind of complicate things by <clears throat> having Clark Gregg play the character. Yeah, also, I don't know. He, to me, he doesn't. There's no dig on yeah, Clark. I don't, he just doesn't look heroic. Well, I to don't me see in that way. But I also don't see why they're leaping that. There's I don't see what it is about his personality or or his um, or his presence that suggests vision. I mean, he was perfect for Coulson. Yeah, I think he's a very swell fella. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him. I just don't see him as vision. I I could be wrong, but you know. Here's, here's an interesting idea, though. Like. What is going to be the thing that binds Phase 2 together? Is it going to be Thanos, or is it going to be... I mean, it can't necessarily be a villain only, but Coulson was kind of in the, the Phase 1 and the lead-up. He was in all yeah. those films, along with uh, Fury. You know, they were both kind of like in... Yeah, they're the the thread. The they were the thread way. through all the movies. Now, like, obviously, they're threading these movies together, too. Who's going to help that? You know what it is? I think it's going to be a hunt for maybe all the different gems... That make mm. up the Infinity Gauntlet. That way, oh, you could have, you know, like Malekith the Accursed is, you know, after. Well, at least in the comics, he was after what's uh, the Casket of Ancient Winners. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a totally different thing. And that's there. the plot of Thor too, as well, right? Well, Malekith the Accursed is is the main bad guy. It's Christopher Eccleston. And leading into a news item, thank you very much for the segue. <laughs> um, the character of Curse, uh, formerly Elgrim the Strong. Mm. Uh, will be in Thor The Dark World, and he will be played by, let's see if I can get this out. Do uh, it. Adewale uh, Eka. I can't even, no, it's not, I can't say his name. I can't read my own writing. God damn it. Uh, Adewale Agbajai. Agbanadwe. Sorry, dude. Dude from Lost. Yeah, Mr. Echo. Uh, He was in The the Thing, and he was in... um, Oh, God, I just wrote this up the other day. I'm totally drawing a blank. Well, he's Mr. Echo. That's, that should <laughs> yeah. be good That's enough That's his most iconic oh, role. Oh, a heavy-duty G.I. Joe. Oh, right, right. Um, so he's going to play the dual roles of Curse and Algrim, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Um, you know, he's going to be covered up in a mask for most of it. If they're, if they're going to do Curse like the way he, he was in the comics, right. um, you know, anybody could have played him. But I think he's an interesting pick. Uh, he has a lot of presence. And uh, it can already see, it sounds like they're going to make him more of a, a tragic character. I mean, you get an actor like him, you know, look at, like, the, the Psalm scene in, in Lost or something. Like, yeah. he, he can be kind of, you know, bring a, a certain emotional weight. Uh, to it and so. good, on that good point, pick. I don't think they'll put him in the mask for much of that movie if they even have it. I think yeah. they'll like you know keep keep the expressions. he'll be like what the uh, destroyer was to the end of Thor one maybe maybe yeah yeah uh, let's see other uh, oh and Marvel also Cat games. Dennings oh yeah Cat Dennings is back thank you for reminding me yes Cat Dennings will be back as Darcy and she's going to have a more significant role of this one they say does that mean that uh, uh, Skarsgård will be back too Stellan um, I think he is expected back. I'm not sure about that. Um, his, his character was definitely, uh, he's pretty pivotal to Avengers and yeah. it ended on a sort of like, I'm trying to redeem myself note. Right. I don't know if you necessarily need to bring him back, but think about it. If he's been, um, essentially, uh, compromised by Loki, 
Yeah. Wouldn't he still be some sort of conduit, uh, conduit um, link between the two worlds that a way for one or the other to get back? Although we've kind of talked about how probably Loki is going to be a little bit diminished. He's, gonna, he's going to be a supporting character in this one. It's not going to be his movie, but you know, Loki could always be pulling the strings from, from jail, basically. I could also see Loki actually turn out to be... More of a neutral character in this one, more of just Thor's brother. He could be kind of like uh, the way Hannibal Lecter was in Manhunter. Yeah. Where he's kind of the guy, the, the creepy guy that you go to for advice, but he's not necessarily involved. Right. He has a few scenes where it looks like he's going to be up to something, but... Uh, let's see other comic book movie news. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I think that's it for Marvel. Let's uh, let's talk about some other some other characters. Rocketeer getting a reboot. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you think about that? Okay, I know every, you know everybody here knows this, but uh, maybe not everybody on the podcast. I didn't like Rocketeer. <laughs> it's out there. I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I by the way, I squashed my beef with the Flash. If you guys, <laughs> you guys didn't hear that flash beef over, but Rocketeer beef still going strong. Now, um, I, that, I, to me, that movie was just like it underwhelmed me. Like I wanted it to it be too kitschy for more you than what it was. I, you know what? I wanted it to be what Captain America was ultimately. So, you, well, that's probably I'm thinking what Disney would want too. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think is the trick to to pulling off uh, a new Rocketeer? Don't set it in present day yeah keep it keep it a period piece i know it's more expensive to do it that way but you have to do it because it doesn't make sense to have it's too quaint yeah in a in a a modern thing it's a little steampunky you know it's it's got that element to it um i would say embrace that even more you know i would like to see almost like it, it could be cool as a as like a more of a sky captain kind of movie yeah i mean the 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 risk they run is it could end up like another League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yep. or something, you know. Any of those kind of steampunky sort of comic book adaptations are really hit and miss. Yeah, and I mean, there haven't been really any steampunk movies that I can think of that really hit. Yeah, I mean, so they're pretty Sucker much punch didn't work, miss. You know? Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, Batman. That old chestnut. That little. So there's little a study bastard. online. Uh, now, mind you, it's not the most scientific of studies, but it's by uh, some colleagues at another site, and they did some uh, some some legwork here and found out that it looks like Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie has actually outsold sold more tickets than The Dark Knight Rises. Um, in fact, there's about a 12 million ticket gap hmm. between the two. When, when gauged for inflation and everything. Um, what, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to say about that except, huh. How how does it compare to The Dark Knight? Well, the Dark Knight sold something like 74 million tickets. Avengers has sold 76 million. Yeah. Uh, neither of the, of the aforementioned Batman movies uh, are even near that. But I think it says a lot for, like, the cost of movies that... Basically, I think the average ticket price in 1989 was like $4. Mm. Now it's about 9 
So how many? Oh, but so they don't know the number of tickets that were sold in '89, or they're saying? No, they did. I just didn't it was write like it 50, down. 50, 50. You can read the story at <laughs> ign.com/slash/movies. So ostensibly, it's like fifty-three million or something. Or I'm no, sorry, it's like hundreds seven, of thousands of tickets. I think. Or, or no, 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 no. It's hundreds like of millions. Hundred. Yeah. No, no, no. It's like. Um, and they said something like fifty-three million. Math is our friend. Yes. Anyway, it's, uh, it so, so is note taking. Apparently, <laughs> I, I should have written that one down. Well, it kind of doesn't matter. It's an interesting story from the perspective of possibly the Tim Burton uh, movie was more of a sensation, and I think that's possibly true. Yeah. They made that like one of the biggest marketing events I've ever seen in I mean, movie history. The the fever pitch for that movie. There was a obviously a fever pitch for Dark Knight Rises, and uh, not to bring up. Aurora again, but that definitely put the, the damper on on the the excitement to seeing that movie. I mean, it was a national tragedy, and people just weren't up for going out. To Do go you see think it. that Aurora is affecting ticket sales now? I don't think so, but I do think it's. Uh, I'm much more uh, sensitive to you know. I see something like The Expendables too. And it's just, it's all killing, all guns, and it doesn't shy away from it. And yet there's no backlash against that. Yeah. But there's a backlash against Dark Knight Rises. Well, I think, and I think there is some pretty overt political reasons for both cases. It's also people drawing false cause and effect yeah. um, conclusions factors on to that. the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, there was a, there was a, a politics angle there, and there's a really big media angle there. You know, that was a, a yeah. huge story that got kind of exploited for the gun agenda one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting. But I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that ticket sales have really dipped to I a level where I think... people aren't going to the movies for a lot of other reasons, primarily financial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are probably still nervous about going to the movies, but you looked at you look at the weekend when Born Legacy opened up, campaign, they all did well. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, I think when the movie looks interesting, people show up. When it doesn't, or when they feel or hear negative buzz or something, they're not going to bother going. Um, one last thing on Dark Knight Rises, it has now made over $900 million. Woo! So it's it's uh, barreling towards a billion. It still has to open up in uh, China and Italy. Wow, China. So all you Italians out there, go see that movie. By the way, if you're um, an Italian Batman fan, you've already driven across the border to see that movie. Probably. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> it is not a far drive. Um, a couple of other little uh, comic book things real quick. Uh, oh, Kick-Ass 2. Jim Carrey is being eyed for the role of the colonel. Nice. Um, he he might pass on it, but he's apparently a big kick-ass fan. And then uh, the actress Lindy Booth is playing, get this, night bitch. <laughs> that well, is awesome. I, and they're like part of a, like a vigilante team that the heroes join up with. Kick-ass, too, about the first couple um, issues, and I haven't read them. It, you know, like now when I buy comic books, it's like this this game I play with myself of like how many comic books can I buy and not read. Yeah. Um, all of them is usually the case of like, yeah. I, I usually wait intentions. for the for the the trade paperback at this point. So I bought the first two, and so I don't really know the characters that well. Um, but I'm all for Jim Carrey in a Kickass movie, and I think it could actually like um, have it, you know take his career in a cooler direction. Well, I mean, Kickass one definitely helped Nicolas Cage. It was a highlight in an otherwise kind of bad 
spell, ongoing spell for him. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, he can bring it every once in a while. That's the cool thing about Nicholas Cage. He still like, cares. I yeah. think. I think the most interesting thing to me about Ghost Rider Two. <clears throat> was that it was the first time in one of his shitty movies where I felt like he just gave up, which was kind of disheartening because he really, I mean, as over the top as he can be, he's trying. You know, like I don't feel like he's a lazy actor. Like I, I feel that about um, Tom Cruise. I don't. I feel like Tom Cruise never is. Uh, he's always giving it his, his all. Yeah. You know, he's he'll never be a great actor, but. He damn well tries, and he gives it 100% in each movie that he does. I mean, even though he's won several Academy Awards. <laughs> Tom Cruise? Oh, I thought you said Tom Hanks. No, I, I thought said from Tom the Cruise. beginning you said Tom oh, Hanks. Jeez. So I was like, no, 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 no. And if Hanks I did say good. Tom Hanks, I'm totally wrong. No, um, I say I meant Tom Cruise. I agree with you, and I, I actually love I Tom, like, what, what I love Tom Cruise for that. But I, I do think I do think um, he does have some great performances. Magnolia was one of his great performances. Um, Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, amazing. Now. I mean, he was up for an award for that. Yeah, he was nominated Best Actor for that. Um, I he recently was good saw in, He was that. good in Rain Man. Yeah, so I wouldn't say he's not a good actor, and I do agree with you that he earns his paycheck, man. He did. Yeah. He did almost all of his stunts in Mission Impossible, which is yeah really impressive. I mean, he's fifty years old now, yeah. or fifty one. So yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, John Travolta reportedly up for the Tox event, Toxic Avenger remake. I don't know if he's going to play Toxie or another character, but. Uh, I can't imagine him playing the Toxic Avenger. I I think he probably, if anything, would play the villain that Toxic Avenger is against. And uh, it would be interesting to see him in that. Like, hopefully he can just, you know, kind of bring it in, into a cheesier place and, and tap like he into did the that. Punisher? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tap into that, Travolta. Um I, I guess we might as well get into the, uh, the, the some of the sad news as we Tony Scott, director of Top yeah. Gun and Enemy of the State, True, Rom- True Romance, Man on Fire, committed suicide on Sunday, yeah. uh, jumped off a, a bridge in San Pedro uh, outside of L.A. Um, the reasons for that are still unclear. There's a lot of conflicting reports, but he did leave a suicide note at the scene. He so. left a suicide note in his car, um, but. Uh, you know, all that aside, the man was certainly one of the most successful filmmakers the last 25 years and very influential on the action genre. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think you'd have somebody like Michael Bay without a Tony Scott. And I felt like Tony Scott's movies had a lot more kind of heart and soul to them at times yep. than than Michael Bay does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't see Michael Bay ever doing a true romance. But no. Tony Scott did. And I feel like another interesting thing about Tony Scott, the older he got, the more experimental he got with yep. his filmmaking, you know? I mean, maybe it didn't always work, like with Domino, but he was yep. trying. Hated that movie. You know? uh, okay, so what are your favorite Tony Scott movies? Well, Top Gun, obviously, for me, is is the one that whenever that thing is on TV, I, I, I watch it. You yeah. know, I, I can't. Yeah, I was 13 when that movie came out, and it was you know the coolest thing. My my cousin went into the the you know, military because of that movie. So wow. yeah. you know, I know a lot of guys who say that, and I feel like Tony Scott actually has probably been the the one filmmaker outside of Howard Hughes who's had the most influence on other filmmakers and on aviation. Well, I mean, the military <laughs> in general, you know. Yeah. Like I mean, I think that I think that. Uh, 
that's one of the movies that paints the military as you know, in, in, in an era when not all movies paint the military as heroes, that movie definitely does. It's like these yeah. guys are out to like protect our interests. It, it was the it was the the biggest recruiting film uh, yeah. until probably Active Valor. You know, I agree with you on Top Gun. I would also say I think probably my favorite of his movies is True Romance. But I yeah. also emotionally, that's my favorite one. But kinetically, I really Top Gun. really love. Um, uh, Man on Fire, and um, I gotta I gotta revisit that. I wasn't I wasn't overly keen on that one, but um, Enemy of the State I thought was a lot of fun. I like Deja Vu. Uh, that's another one of his. Uh, I, I want to actually go back and look at The Hunger. Mm, okay. yeah. I haven't I haven't I actually haven't seen that all the way through. But um, Deja Vu was one of those movies where like if you can get over the premise of the movie, it's a really tight thriller it's yeah. a really well-made movie it's not half as goofy as it could have been right and, and i mean the same thing can be said actually about unstoppable it's true you know i mean horrible trailers it was really like a one-note idea but when you actually watch the thing it actually kind of works for what it is it's a total b movie but it's it's perfectly okay fun entertainment but like when tony scott was on all thrusters there were precious few people that made, you know, movies as sort of uh, kinetic and, and engaging as, as he did. Um, certainly, in terms of action filmmakers, he's in the the top ranks. And he also produced a bunch of stuff with his brother Ridley Scott, yeah. you know, including just this past summer's Prometheus. And then he was a lot of TV shows. Yep, Numbers, and A Good Wife, you know. Got Coma coming up. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely will be missed, and and uh, it's just a really sad, yeah, sad day for Hollywood. Well, here's something that'll make everyone chuckle. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Uh, said recently his next movie is going to be a Lars von Trier movie called Nymphomaniac, which, as the title would suggest, is about boning. And yep. Shia says he's going to have real sex in the movie. So, in Hollywood, you're not supposed to be able to have real sex in movies. But um, there are plenty of stories of them doing it. But it, it does exist, and and uh, and maybe that maybe that is different now. Um, I mean, it's not like we're seeing the the kibbles and bits when they're when they're doing it. So how do we know that? We not? may this time, um, but uh, you know, Lars von Trier has been trying to make a movie like this for a while. Um, he made Antichrist, which had a lot of really sexual content in it, and um, he actually had porn stars for some of the sex scenes, in right? Um, and so. I, you know, what's interesting about this story is that you know it became a sensation on the internet, and and we ran our story, and it did really well on IGN, and, and lots of people read it. But so many Shia is la beef. So many people are like, he's a porn star, he's a porn star, he's a porn star, and I'm like, dude, he is an actor doing what a director is telling him to do. Right, but I mean, you know, Chloe Sevigny um, caught a lot of flack. For going down on Vincent Gallo and the Brown Bunny, I agree. Even if they were in a relationship, blah blah blah. I mean, it it wasn't until she was on Big Love that she really kind of. Uh, I mean, that saved her career. I mean, she. A lot of other actors are like, no, you don't. It's pretend. If you're going to actually have sexual, re- first of all, you know how do they know they're being safe? I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily using protection, um, and. Young Hollywood actors being what they are, even if you got tested two weeks before the shoot and everything came back okay, what if they picked up somebody at the club the night before? So Hollywood productions are beholden to the same laws as 
the other Hollywood productions, porn. Now um, shut down for syphilis. Which is which is now shut down for syphilis. But it's all part of the USC 2257 Act. Um, Jesus, you actually know the code? And yeah, yeah. And so you'll see in a movie like Nine, Nine Songs, uh, there'll be that little warning, which is the same warning that you would see in front of any porn movie that would play, which is like, hey, these people were 18. They're going to do it. That's- <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're going to do it in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, sling, sling blade. The butt. The butt sessions. <laughs> so anyway, so you'll see that at the beginning of the movie, and that that says, "Hey, we're you know th- these actors were eighteen at the time." Blah blah. But it also. <laughs> The, there be boning, but but also every actor who participates in a sex scene, protected or unprotected, has to submit to um, STD testing, and that's why the syphilis thing is a big idea, big deal, is because somebody masked their results and gave a gave a false negative, um, went on to the set and performed. But and, couldn't they also? I mean, I don't know how many, uh, what the span of time would be on a you know, STD tests like that. I mean, again, if the person went out a couple of days before the shoot and the test had been done a week ahead of time, couldn't you have passed it on? Well, we don't know what the time frame was every week between, you know, like when everybody started getting cysts or whatever the hell it is that <laughs> happens. It's every week. Um, I think that you have to get tested in the porn industry if, if you're actively pro- uh, like producing films. Um, so I think it's the same thing in a Hollywood production. I'm guessing, though, in this movie, I'm guessing that while while he is raring to go um, or ready to do these sex scenes, that it's going to be very hard for them to find a female counterpart who's gonna, who has signed off on the same thing. I mean, how do you go home to your significant other if you're not a porn actor and, and well, I'm doing it for the art. I'm an artist. I mean, you have to have a very understanding significant <laughs> well, other. Wouldn't you be kind of like um, I think he's bullshit? Yeah, well, him, I'm saying, uh, like, yeah. if you're the actress or something. I mean, even watching, like, True Blood, sure, you know, although I bet you Alexander Skarsgård has tapped a few of those on set. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it happens all the time in Hollywood. Even even um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie met on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Their whole relationship flowed out of that. I mean, it was all that and whole. Jennifer Aniston thing. has sold a million magazine covers ever since. <laughs> exactly, and on the cover again because of uh, marrying Justin Thoreau. Um, let's see. All female Expendables movie. What do you think about that? I, it's, I don't know. It's not the Expendables per se. It's a it's a riff on that. But I mean, to me, the the casting in that would be key. I mean, yeah. you'd have to get Milo Jovovich, Kate Beckinsale, Michelle Rodriguez, um, uh, maybe Jessica Alba, Jessica Alba, Gina Carano, right? Yeah. Um, then you go older. You get, you get Sigourney Linda Weaver. Sigourney, yeah. Uh, Pam Greer. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that movie. Jada Pinkett. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking the whole set it off crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just get uh, Queen Latifah in there just for giggles. She she can be she can be like uh, the Nick Fury that sends them on their mission. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think people are pitching it, but I don't think it's really going to come about because there has been a serious problem with um, female led action movies in general. And I mean I think the most recent example of it was Sucker Punch. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. That I mean it's unfortunate it's kinda like Westerns. If you make a bad one, they don't make them for a while. It's not fair. 
but that's yeah. the way it is. Well, it's not fair. It, I mean, there aren't enough movies for women, period, in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it's not fair, but you know what? Oh, you know who else I'd add to the cast? Jamie Alexander, based on Thor. Ooh, yeah. Good call. And just because she's cute and fun and everything else. Done. Yeah? That's... She's on the cast. She's she's in there. We're casting <laughs> this movie. Uh, Videodrome remake. No. Yeah. Cronenberg's uh, no. uh, classic movie is going to get remade. Nope. Uh, first-time director Adam Berg, who did some award-winning commercials, is going to helm it. And Aaron Kruger, the writer of The Ring and Transformers 2 and 3, is uh, scripting it. Ooh, and Transformers 2. Past reports said that the uh, technology... Uh, you know, behind the whole thing in, in video drum might involve nanobots. I'm just going to say no to the whole thing. No Debbie Harry, no David Cronenberg, no, no James Woods. Video drum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, Legend of Korra. So last week, Paramount said that they're going to do some, uh, they're going to go to their. Uh, Kin at <laughs> go to the go to their well. <laughs> go to the well. Uh, they're kin folk at Nickelodeon, and they want to try and beef up their their recently um, well recent, but their uh, their own animation division. Uh, and one of the things, one of the properties they're looking at to do as an animated feature film is Legend of Korra. That's hugely popular, so we'll see if they can actually you know, pull that off or not. Um, the Dark Tower, Warner Brothers passed on that. Uh, it's but MRC, um, the production uh, company, the backers of Ted and Neil Blomkamp's upcoming movie Elysium, mm-hmm. are now in talks to possibly finance Dark Tower. Hugely ambitious thing uh, from Ron Howard and Imagine Entertainment. Uh, three feature films, two TV miniseries, possibly Russell Crowe as the gunslinger. Um, so I think it it bodes. Bodes well. I mean, it looked really grim there when Warner Brothers passed, but you know, maybe maybe a, a, a less, um, a, a more upstart kind of company is the right way to go. I think they just need to be less ambitious with it. I know that sounds stupid, but I think they need to say we are going to release the Dark Tower movie. Period. This is the only plan. We're going to release this movie and Maybe see how it trilogy, does. Maybe a trilogy, but let's just do a good self-contained Do movie. what Marvel does. Sign those people to contracts that lock them into all the rest of the stuff. But only do the one in the beginning. Yeah. Keep that set up wherever it is. But see, maybe <laughs> yeah. they might want to do it just because if you get Russell Crowe, maybe it's easy to film everything at once than trying to keep getting him back. That's true. Um, okay. Uh, last couple of little news items. Catching Fire. <laughs> Uh, Sam Claflin from Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides and Snow White and the Huntsman has been cast as Finnick O'Dare. Uh, we've, it's been rumored for a while, but he was finally announced. Um, there's going to be a Japanese remake of Unforgiven starring Ken Watanabe, who actually nice. acted for Clint Eastwood in Letters from Iwo Jima and Warner Brothers Japan. Warner Brothers put out Unforgiven are going to... Uh, produce the remake it's going to be out next year it's kind of about time that that goes in reverse because there have been so many like samurai movies that were converted yeah. to things here right i mean a clint eastwood's whole movie career is based off of uh essentially a remake of yojimbo you mm-hmm. know fistful of dollars so you know i think it actually works if you're going to transpose it to any other genre i think that one's good um da, 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 da. oh and one little note about the hobbit uh, all that 48 frames per second stuff. Exhibitors are saying that they're not going to charge a surcharge 
um, for those screenings. So people who are yeah. worried, like, oh, if I go see it in 48 frames per second, I'm going to get screwed because I'll have to pay more. Exhibitors are saying they're not going to do that. Exhibitors are also saying, damn it, I have to upgrade my equipment and not charge anybody. It's, pre- it's pretty <laughs> nice of them to not uh, yeah. to not charge for that. Don't worry, your popcorn will now be $14. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your $16 Coke. <laughs> it's only 25 cents of syrup. Everything else is markup. Um, all right, so we got to start wrapping it up here. Let's talk about what's opening up this weekend. We have The Apparition, the long-delayed supernatural movie that I believe Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy himself, is in. Um, Hit and Run, Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell. And then Premium Rush, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Dania uh, Ramirez acting in David Kep's Bike Messenger Thriller. It's like Quicksilver on steroids. <laughs> Some of the bikes don't look cool in that movie, but... Um, okay. I think Expendables 2 is going to still be number one. I think so, too. Yeah. I think it's going to do like 15 or $16 million. Um, I think... Uh, Oh, man. 15 or 16. Pick one. Let's just say... Commit, damn it. Let's say 15.5. Okay. Um, and then, man, it's a tough weekend. I don't think Hit and Run, Apparition, or Premium Rush are really going to clean up at all. Yeah, no, no, I kind of so. think... What was number two again last week? Uh, Born Legacy. I think it, it, I'm, I, I, I'd play it safe and say Expendables 2 and Born Legacy is still one and two. Okay, I think it's going to be Expendables 2... Number one, then I'll, I'll go with you. Born Legacy, I think it'll probably do about uh, eight, eight and a half. God, that's a low box office. Yeah. And then uh, I think Premium Rush at seven million. All right. I'm I don't gonna... know though. Apparition is one of those movies that like I've heard nothing I think, about. Marketing yeah, wise. I mean, it, could it be another like paranormal that comes out of nowhere? I think it's going to just be dead on arrival. Yeah. I, I think it'll open like tenth place. I'm going to say. Uh, Expendables too. I'm going to say about. I'm going to say 14 million because think about it. If if last week's was that low, I mean I don't know if people are going to show up for this one. I'm going to say Born Legacy nine and Premium Rush. Uh, I'm going to say nine as well. I, I think it's going to be tight between that and Born Legacy, but uh, and then Hit and Run and Apparition and all those I think are going to be. Very low single digits, bottom of the top ten. Yeah, Paranorman has uh, possibly really good staying power if, if yeah. the word of mouth extends out. So you know that's another one to kind of keep an I eye. Mean, on. That could remain in third place, yeah. and Premium Rush could do even less. Yeah, we'll I see. mean, I, is there really an appetite to see Premium Rush? There's a lot of goodwill towards Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I think more people would rather go see Looper yeah. coming up next than Premium. Well, Looper Rush. looks pretty badass. Yeah. Um, I think Premium Rush. Um, it's got uh, a goofy name, and it's just. You know. I think that for me, the trailers look kind of cool. Like some of the yeah. stunts looked awesome, but I'm a little worried that like the stunts are like you know we've seen most of them or something. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, folks, we'll let about do it for this week's podcast. Um, uh, drop us a line at keep it at real at ign dot com. Give us a shout out over at iTunes, uh, and thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.